You're listening to. Back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Ray Yu. And we are here for our first Books and Boba episode of 2022. Rira, Happy New Year. I'm glad to see that you survived the holidays. Yes, yes. Happy New Year. But, you know, 2022 is a trial run until Lunar New Year comes <laughs> around in February. <laughs> So far, 2022 is not great. <laughs> yeah, I think we should say I'm happy New Year season because it's the season of yeah. New Year's. Yes, yes. Huh. Yeah. How has uh, how have you been, Marvin? We took a little bit of a break. It was our first mini break since we started this podcast since I mean, I 2016. We take mini breaks every once in a while just because we're not like strictly weekly, but. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's our first month where we didn't have a book to read since we combined our December and January book picks together. And I had a pretty solid holiday, you know, had some family time, um, caught up on some video games. Um, I just recently reacquired uh, the PS4 that used to be at my house because my brother took it when he moved out. But he somehow got himself a PS5. So now I have the good old PS4 back. So I've been catching up on a lot of the you know, AAA games that I've missed over the last few years. Um, although I did make the mistake of trying to get back into Red Dead Redemption 2 and getting lost in all the open world stuff. That was stuff. a mistake. Yeah. So. Yes, that was a mistake. <laughs> well, um, we are recording on Korean American Day, so oh, happy, happy Korean American birthday Day. to Korean Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, um, what, what does Korean American Day celebrate exactly? Uh, it commemorates the first arrival of Korean immigrants to the United States. So oh. that happened in the early 1900s, I would say. So, yeah, every year on January 13th. Well, um, I guess congratulations, Rira. You're as the as the Korean uh, person in this podcast. I guess we should celebrate your arrival. Yeah, celebrate <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> If you have consumed Korean media over the past year, yeah, like Squid Games, for example, you should celebrate us because <laughs> we're worth it. Man. Um, well, how was your break, Rira? Uh, it, was, it was pretty good. It was pretty chill. Uh, my partner's family came from New York, so it was mm. our first time hanging out all together. Um and they're very into Christmas. Like I'm talking like stockings with our names on it and multiple presents and wow. holiday themed desserts. So every time I celebrate with them, it's kind of a culture shock I will never get used to. It's like you're actually in a Hallmark movie where people really, it really, really care does about Christmas. feel like I'm in a Hallmark <laughs> movie. The first time I met Dan's parents was on Christmas. Wow. So, <laughs> so like when I met them, it just it just seemed like I was in a movie because their entire house was decorated and they were wearing like Christmas sweaters. It, it was it was just a lot. And yeah, it's like I, wow, people actually do this in America. This isn't just like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually don't have any much experience with good old-fashioned american christmas 
I celebrate the, I guess you could call it, I don't even know if it's the Asian way, but it's like my family's way, which is we celebrate on Christmas Eve. We open our presents at midnight on Christmas Eve instead of waiting for Christmas morning, like suckers. Um, and yeah, I just, we don't do stockings. Um, Christmas is just an excuse for my parents just to like, like to cook a roast beef and have a big dinner. A lot of the times my parents don't even cook on Christmas. <laughs> like they, they go out or they order food in. Yeah. Um, actually it's, it's quite funny because growing up, um, we would do the Christmas Eve thing too. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is an Asian thing. Cause like Christmas Eve, we just kind of, I, mean, I feel like it is, but I also, I also, out of a lot of the Asian families that I know, we're the only ones that do it too. I think it depends how Christian actually, but your family's pretty Christian, right? This family is super Christian. <laughs> um, I guess we did go to church, but it depended on like when Christmas landed. Cause if mm. it was like the, ne- the following week, then yeah, we went to service like the weekend before. Um, but like on Christmas Eve, we would just give each other presents in like the most casual way possible. There isn't like, <laughs> it's not like we all sit down in the living room and like give each other presents. It's just like we wake up and we're like, here you go. And just kind of like toss it into like the bed when when you to, wake up. I have to ask, did your parents ever try to convince you that Santa, Santa is real? Oh, yeah. my I will give my parents that. They tried to give me the magic of Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, they succeeded for a pretty long time. Wow. Yeah, see, I never had that. I always knew the presents were coming from my parents and my parents' friends. Because who wants to give an imaginary person credit for buying awesome gifts for their kids? That's, that is true. <laughs> yeah. But then on Christmas Day, I would just go to my friend's house because they were also Asian and they did not celebrate on Christmas <laughs> Day. So we're like, what are we going to do for Christmas? I don't know. I guess we'll just watch anime because our parents don't really celebrate Christmas. <laughs> if you are Asian, please let us know on Twitter if yeah. you actually celebrate it on Christmas Day. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, also, if you're in a relationship, the chances are you're going to celebrate both days, you know, like Christmas Eve with one family and then Christmas Day with another side of the family. That did work out for me and my partner as well, because my family celebrates on Christmas Eve. Her family celebrates on Christmas Day. So Christmas has become like this double holiday, um, which I guess, you know, at least this way we don't have to choose. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'm glad that you had a semi-enjoyable holiday season. I know um, you're on record <laughs> as being anti-holidays. <laughs> I, I am very anti-Christmas. <laughs> um, I am the Grinch, pretty much. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being Grinchy. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, we're here today for our first mid-month news episode of 2022. Rira has graciously compiled a list of the latest Asian American publishing news um, taken from Publishers Weekly and other sources. Um, and we're going to go through and let you know what's coming down the pipe in the future. So yeah, Rira, what's our first book deal? All right. So our first book deal is Fawil and Friends bought Amigurumi artist Kim Hua Ung's debut picture book, A Gift for Nai Nai. Uh, Lin Lin is determined to crochet her first hat, a special gift for a friend's birthday, and frequently calls upon her nai nai to help her while making it. Publication is slated for spring 2023. That's cute. Yeah, so for the people who are unfamiliar with Amigurumi, it's like, have you seen like those cute little kawaii 
uh, crochet dolls on Etsy. That's what it is. Okay. I'm wondering uh, how many Nainais actually crochet? Because <laughs> neither of my grandparents do that. It sounds, seems like a very um, like Western, Western thing, thing. right? <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of Japanese mm. grannies like knit or crochet. Yeah. And and my grandmother sews, but that's a different type of skill. Yeah, though. my grandmother has this had a sewing machine as well. So I don't know. I guess it's outside of my personal purview, but it's cute. I, I love um stories, especially um picture books celebrating grandmother, granddaughter relations. Crocheting seems like really hard to me. Like how do you create things with sticks and thread? But you know, I'm not very nimble or creative in that aspect so i feel like a lot of people picked up crochet during the pandemic <laughs> as a hobby it's either crocheting or, like or making bread, making right? bread. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well congrats to um kim on the book deal um next up harper collins bought world rights to worlds between us by angela fam kranz um illustrated by eyes that kiss in the corners illustrator dung ho this picture book portrays an intergenerational bond cemented over food and flashcards Grandma and Grandma and Felix show how, despite the lack of a common language, um, their bond is one that goes beyond words. Publication is scheduled for fall 2023. We were just talking about grandmas. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's something that is kind of outside of my own experience. Like, I've always been able to communicate with my grandparents um, because I grew up speaking Chinese. Um, but I know a lot of people who did not grow up speaking the same language as their grandparents and. I'm sure um, this book will help them feel seen as well. I feel like I was able to communicate with my grandparents when I was younger. But as I had gotten older uh, and stopped using Korean to talk to my parents overall, <laughs> uh, I kind of lost my speaking abilities. So the last time I went to Korea to see my grandparents, it was very awkward oh. <laughs> where they would be talking and I would understand what they were saying, but it was hard for me to articulate mm. a response back. So I can definitely understand this kind of uh, language gap that this picture book portrays. And I'm sure a lot of kids can understand it as well. Yeah. And yeah, even though you don't share a common language, uh, love is a language. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that picture book will highlight on that theme as well. Okay, so our next book deal is Levine Querido bought world English rights to Nine Color Deer, written and illustrated by Kaylin Duan. The picture book is inspired by the 1,500-year-old Mogao cave paintings in Dunhuang, China. Jeremy Tang will translate from the Chinese language. Publication is scheduled for fall 2022. Have you heard of these cave paintings? Um, I have, actually. Um, there's a very famous Chinese animated film um, that features uh, the nine-colored deer. And I think I know about this because um, there is a crossover with a gotcha game that I play specifically related yes. to, to that film right going on right now so um it just so happens that i recently read up on it um but yeah it's a very um it's a very distinctive design and aesthetic and if you see a picture of it it might be familiar because i think that it's been replicated in other um, properties as well hold on let me let me look at it on hmm. google oh yeah i've definitely seen this yeah yeah it's a very specific aesthetic yeah so that's pretty cool that's it's um being adapted and translated to 
to Western audience. It's yeah, a, I mean, how often do we see something that old survive <laughs> this yeah. long, you know? Yeah. All right. Next up, Bloomsbury acquired Hair Oil Magic by author-illustrator Anu Chohan. The book is a generational story about the bonding experience between a mother and daughter during their weekly hair ritual that was inspired by the author's own memories with her mother. Publication is slated for winter 2024. So, again, something that is outside of my personal experience because I don't really have any hair memories as a, I guess, a boy. Um Except never... for the dreaded bowl cut haircut. <laughs> but even then, like a bowl cut was more efficiency than bonding, right? It's just, I feel like a bowl cut represents disinterest in someone's hairstyle because it's just, you know, slap on the bowl and cut around the edges and you're done. Well, obviously, uh, even among Asians, like hair texture is different. Like mm. South Asians have much thicker hair and I know that they have to... Uh, do more prep with with their hair care at night. Like they have mm. to use coconut oil, and of course, there's a lot of um, I don't know. I feel I feel like with there's a stereotype that all Asians have like this beautiful, sleek, straight hair, and that's not the <laughs> case. I mean, have you seen Sandra Oh and yeah. a lot of other South Asian um, talents out there? So, yeah, I, I just like the fact that there is a book that kind of shows maybe like South Asian young readers that, you know, their hair can be beautiful and that it's not something to be ashamed of. Yeah. All right. Next up, Quiltree acquired Kelly Zhang's debut picture book, Take Me to Lao Lao, which will be illustrated by Evie Zhu. A girl with a big heart and an even bigger imagination goes on a Chinese mythology-inspired adventure to visit her Lao Lao during the Spring Lantern Festival. Publication is planned for winter 2024. Wow, we have a, a variety of different ways to say grandma in Chinese grandma, yeah. in our um, news this week. And the Spring Lantern Festival, for people who aren't aware, is another name for Lunar New Year in China. Oh, I did not know that. I was wondering. Yeah, I feel like at some point we need to update our Lunar New Year themed book list on Bookshop with all these books coming out. Every year there's something new about the Lunar New Year uh stack of books yeah. so yeah definitely have to add more <laughs> all right next up modern marigold books bought world rights to see us bloom by korean american author kyung hee kim this debut picture book features poems on compassion acceptance and bravery the book will be illustrated by south korean artist emily peck publication is scheduled for spring 2023 so there isn't a lot for us to go on in terms of like what is this book going to be about but I like the fact that it is a collection of poems. Yeah, with illustrations, too. That's always cool. <laughs> so I am curious as to um, what kind of stories it will have. So congratulations to Kyung Hee. Yeah. All right. Next up, Faywell and Friends acquired world rights to Last Flight Out by debut author-illustrator Carissa Green. For nine-year-old Huang, life in Saigon is mostly normal, but when a bomb shakes the earth, her family decides to flee on Pan Am's last flight to America. Huang worries about missing home, but as she settles in, she realizes that the smell of home and the taste of love can happen anywhere, as long as she has her family. Publication is set for winter 2024. 
So this is a picture book, right? Uh, I am, yeah, because it says debut author illustrator. Oh. I don't know if it's an actual picture book or if it's like a middle grade uh, illustrated book. Could be mm. a chapter book as well. Yeah, because the themes seem pretty dense for a picture book, so I, that's why I was wondering. But it's always good to see uh, experience like the refugee experience uh, shown in children's literature. Uh, I think we do really underestimate what kids can take. I mean, yeah. a lot of refugees were kids when they came <laughs> to America. And it seems to have a pretty hopeful note. So I think it's it's good for kids as well. <laughs> All right. Next up, Bloomsbury bought North American rights to Rita Chang Epic's debut novel, Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea. The book is a sweeping adventure that follows 19th century pirate queen Shek Young. As she fights to control the seas, she knows she was born to lead. Publication is set for spring 2023. Man, I love that we're getting more and more books about Asian pirate queens. Um, I feel like that is a theme that I can get behind people writing more about. Yeah. Um, if you guys are interested in pirate queens, we interviewed C.B. Lee, who is the author of The Clash of Steel, which uh, <laughs> is a historical fiction on the pirate queen that actually existed in history. So yeah. if you're interested in that... Uh, we talked to her about her research process and a lot of history. Yeah, check out that book if you want to, I guess, get in the mood for Rita's book. Um, I'm not sure if Shek Young, um, the pirate queen that's mentioned in her book, is also a historical figure or not. But um, again, it's cool that we're getting more stories about pirate queen. I think pirate queen is just a really cool term and theme. And I, I just like, you know, I've been watching The Expanse, um, which the last episode is coming out this week. And in this season, there is also a space pirate queen there as well. So I, I, I think Ooh, that's like space pirate. pirate. Yeah. All right. So we have one last book deal left. William Morrow bought rights to Jade Song's Chlorine. Pitched in the vein of Han Kang's The Vegetarian, the book is about a competitive swimmer driven to the extremes by the pressures of living up to her family's expectations, her coach's demands, and the envy of her peers until she decides that to achieve her dreams, she must become a mermaid by any means necessary and no matter the blood she'll spill. Publication has not been announced yet. Wow, that took a turn. Yeah, that got dark. <laughs> Well, when when Han Kang's The Vegetarian was mentioned, I was like, oh, this is going to be a weird book because The Vegetarian is about a lady who wants to become a plant. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a turn that I did not expect, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just based on the description, like we've read books like this before where, you know, we see the effects of the hyper situation of like parental expectations with like societal expectations kind of cause people to um i guess break yeah yeah it's it's definitely a familiar story <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but but with that said that wraps up our book deals uh for january 2022 or at least the first half of it if i missed any i'm sorry uh tweet us and i can add it to our next episode yeah so let's move on to our book news um rira um what's our first story all right. So first off, congratulations to Jessamine Chan's The School for Good Mothers on becoming a New York Times bestseller. Uh, the dystopic drama follows Frida Liu, who makes one lapse in judgment in leaving her daughter alone for a few hours. As a result, government officials enlist her in a reform program where custody of her child hangs in the balance. 
And recently, Jessica Chastain's company, Freckle Films, optioned the TV rights for uh, Jessamine Chang's book. And uh, we have a director attached. So the director is Jude Wang, who is the director of Finding Ohana and was a recurring director of Fresh Off the Boat. And Endeavor Content is also on board for the adaptation, according to Deadline. Wow. So usually with like option news, you don't get a director attached right away. So that's pretty cool. I think that's a good sign. That means that they're confident. Yeah. I think it's really funny because in the West, leaving your kid for even like five minutes alone is considered like a terrible (laughs) parental thing. But I feel like in Asian culture, they they leave your kids alone like all the time. I I think there's just like more trust in, in other people, like other adults around. To, I'm like, not, not kidnap sure. Your child. Even, I mean, in Asia, there's a lot of school, right? So you're in, you go to regular school, then you go to cram school, and so you're not home until like 9 p.m. Anyways, on a normal day. Um, I wonder. I think it's also a generational thing, right? I was a last kid as well as like child of immigrants, which I think is a similar experience. To a lot of people come from like working class immigrant families, right? Um, I don't know if yeah, you were a last um, kid. Um, yeah, my experience was a little bit different because my mom did not work. Mm. So she was kind of more of a helicopter parent, I guess, because <laughs> uh, I had a lot of extracurricular activities and uh, I needed someone to drive me around for all of those. But um, my my cousin, she has two boys right now who are under the age of five. And I know that she's teaching her kids to be more independent. So I know for a fact that they've gone on errands by themselves. But of course, like the parents are kind of like hiding around the corner and making sure that their kid is like not (laughs) kidnapped. But it's like it's really cute that they're trying to instill independence in their kids and having them uh, learn common sense when it comes to like approaching adults for help. It's like make sure you pick a good adult who can help you. Don't pick someone who is creepy and Um, I know that a lot of young kids in Korea, they know how to take the subway by themselves. They have their own um, kid cell phones, uh, which, you know, allows them to call their parents in terms of like an emergency. So I think there is definitely a cultural difference when it comes to leaving your kids. Yeah. And I wonder, (laughs) like, I don't I'm not I'm actually not familiar with Jessamine's book, The School for Good Mothers. But I wonder, do you know which side she comes down on or what? Like, what is the, I guess, theme of that book? I mean, it's a dystopia drama. So I've heard that it's kind of like The Handmaiden's Tale, <laughs> where it kind of talks about, like, pa- like, not patriarchy, but, you know, like the... Toxic ideals of motherhood, The right? strict gender norms of, of, like, this is how a mother should be. Oh. This is how uh, you should raise your child. There's only, like, one way to be a good mother, uh, which is not perfect at all. So, yeah, it it sounds like it sounds very interesting because, like, how would a reform program look <laughs> for those types of moms? Um, I mean, if The Handmaid's Tale is kind of one of the touch points, then it's probably rules also made by men about that. Or yeah, it's yeah, it definitely has that patriarchal gaze. To it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but. Yeah, there's yeah. there's something sinister about this government reform program that makes me think that it's more of like a thriller book in, in a way than like straight up capital L literature. Mm. 
Yeah. That's my opinion. But <laughs> yeah, it's hard to go by with just like the the premise of, of the book. Yeah, I guess it's hard to go by when neither of us have read it. But yeah, that sounds really exciting. Um, I always, you know, I'm a big fan of speculative fiction. So um, I think, especially in these days when a lot of my friends are becoming parents and I'm parents. seeing their, you know, I feel like our generation, well, because of all this the stuff that's going on, we probably err more towards the helicopter parents than the than the type of parents who will let our kids be, you know, on their own. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, those themes being addressed and confronted in this adaptation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So Marvin, what is our second piece of news? So this is breaking news from this week. Um, so we've talked about um, Abigail Hingwen's book, Love Boat Taipei, on this podcast before. We had Abigail on for an author chat. And we've also reported on the casting news, like in a previous news episode. Um, but the film adaptation of Love Boat Taipei has acquired a publisher. Lionsgate will be handling global sales of Love Boat Taipei, which started production in Taiwan uh, before Christmas and has a budget of about $10 million. Um, which I guess overall is not that huge of a budget for a film. Yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> big enough for a project this ambitious, in my opinion. Mm. But I've seen creative directors like use the budget that they have to its maximum. So I'm just hoping yeah. that it's enough. And, you know, like the cast seem pretty cool. I remember we've announced uh, the actors a couple of episodes back yeah and, and if you checked out abigail's you know, instagram like she's on site with them like partying it up in taiwan which is pretty cool <laughs> yeah and there's actually a sequel to love boat taipei it's called love boat reunion and it comes out later this month so uh for those of you who have already read the book uh you can read <laughs> the sequel in a couple of weeks yeah well congrats to the whole crew especially abigail for being one step closer to this film becoming a reality um, it's great to see that they're in production, which means we'll probably be seeing this film probably like, what, next year, hopefully? But it's really hard to tell with the pandemic. That's true. Yeah. I don't know what the situation is in Taiwan, though. <laughs> if they were already starting production, I'm guessing that is a little bit better over there than it is mm, here in I America. Mean, yeah, I know Taiwan had a pretty severe lockdown like during the summer, but I think they've been getting a little better now that they have vaccinations and obviously being in American production, hopefully they're following a lot of those, um, a lot of safety regulations as well. But yeah, excited about the news. Congratulations to the production and yeah, looking forward to seeing this film out in theater sometime soon. So we have uh, one last piece of news. This is actually not on our document of news that we're <laughs> looking at right now, but uh, I thought it would, I would be remiss to not, mention this even though it's not asian american related but we did talk about this uh fraud slash uh phishing scheme so i thought maybe i should you know do an update on it so um i think it was like last year when i mentioned that there was this international phishing scam where someone would email a bunch of publishers and authors asking for manuscripts and then they would just steal those manuscripts and they would just kind of disappear into the ether. Like it wasn't leaked or anything. Like this person was just stealing manuscripts and we're using like a very sophisticated way where they were impersonating publishing professionals to get those manuscripts. 
And this scam has been happening since 2016. So uh, they finally caught the guy. <laughs> and his name is Filippo Bernardini. And he's an Italian citizen who worked for the UK publisher Simon & Schuster. And he was arrested this past Wednesday. So this is kind of breaking news. Uh, but the FBI had been working on this case for about four years. So it, it was like a long, ongoing uh, investigation. And I remember people on Twitter kind of celebrating, being like, oh my god, they finally caught this guy who was just scamming like hundreds of authors and publishers. And yeah, it's just, it's just been really weird seeing this case unravel over the past couple of years because no one knew who it could be. Like some people thought that it was like a literary agent. Some people thought that it was just like a desperate writer who had zero new ideas. So they were stealing manuscripts in hopes of like creating their off-brand books. But yeah, it just turned out to be someone who used to work in publishing. And uh, I don't know what his motive was. <laughs> like, maybe he just really wanted to read these books and couldn't wait for a publishing date. Yeah, maybe. Um, because he didn't do anything with them. It it's just, a very extreme way of building that TBR list, to be honest. Yes. I don't know. Like, maybe it's like, you know, you know, some hackers, they they just hack just to show that they can do it. And they don't do anything so with the thing that they steal. this is like the white hat of like publishing scams is that what, what you're suggesting I, I guess so it's like a psychological game saying oh yeah this manuscript that you thought was like like super secure it's not because i think one of the uh manuscripts that they were going after was the latest book in the millennium series which is the series that uh has the girl with the dragon tattoo so he went after like very very high profile manuscripts as well as really low like no one knows what this book is but he asks for the manuscript anyway so there really wasn't like a specific demographic for for the manuscripts he was stealing wow but yeah very interesting it's like you said it was it's a very weird way to build a tbr pile <laughs> who knows what his motive is maybe i'll maybe we'll see in future coming articles because this is a this is kind of like breaking news since it came out like earlier this week but yeah very uh yeah i'm glad that they caught the guy <laughs> yeah and i guess that'll do it for our first mid-month book news episode um for books and boba in 2022 um we were looking forward to another year of book clubbing with you clubbing <laughs> um yeah we have actually we and i sat down for i guess brunch for the first time in like two years um this past week to talk about some interesting things that we want to try this year to help better engage with our book club members so um watch out for that we'll probably have more announcements in the coming months i want to remind everyone again that the Books and Boba uh, merch store is back open. We've gotten a lot of requests to purchase our Books and Boba apparel and tote bags um, since we closed orders last year. So we decided just to reopen our bonfire store. So if you missed our order window last year and still want to purchase um, a Books and Boba t-shirt, sweatshirt, or tote bag to you know represent, you can do so now. Um, we're probably going to keep the store open um, in perpetuity now that we have a handle on how bonfire handles its order windows. So yeah, if you want to support our podcast and look cool while doing it, you can check that out. Also, as always, we have our bookshop.org store 
where you can purchase a lot of the books that we've talked about on this podcast uh, while also supporting uh, Books and Boba and your local bookstore. So check that out as well. You can find all those links on booksandboba.com. So for those of you who forgot, our December-January book club pick is She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Uh, it has been pitched as Mulan meets the Song of Achilles, and it is a bold, queer, lyrical reimagining of the rise of the founding emperor of the Ming Dynasty. Yeah. So, uh, we gave people an extra month because it is a fantasy book, so it is a little bit longer than what we usually read. It's a little bit over 400 pages. So you have about half of a month to uh, catch up. <laughs> Yeah, this book has been on our um, on our watch list for a while now. It won a ton of awards at the end of 2021. So, yeah, I'm excited to um, discuss this book with everyone um, later this month. Um, but with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, thank you for compiling all the book and publishing news for our episodes. Looking forward to another year of great book discussion, book news, and author interviews with you. Um, we do have some really cool interviews lined up um, in the near future, uh, which means we're going to have to get reading <laughs> ASAP. Um, but yeah, it's going to be another great year, at least for books and bulb. I can't say, at I can't promise anything. Reading. Yeah, I can't promise anything for the world at large. But at least in the world of our books and bulb book club, I think it's going to be a good year for us. Uh, we'll see how many books I can read by the end of 2022. <laughs> I feel like I didn't read as much in 2021, and I can understand why, because it was very depressing. You say that, but we read at least like 20 books for this podcast. Yeah, but at least 20, but that's like not 100. There are people <laughs> who read 300 books in one year, and I honestly don't know how you guys do it, because that is, you have to pretty much read a book every single day. And I just, I just don't know how you guys are able to do it. But my goal is probably a hundred books in 2022. I think that is like, wow, uh, that's like enough of a challenge that I can believe. Like it's believable. Like I feel like I can do it right. if I take it seriously enough. Well, I'll check in with you from time to time to see what your book count is, uh, just as a, just as like a pacekeeper. That's my promise. To I just you. have to like, <laughs> I just have to pick a lot of short books. I'm okay. just, it's going to be the year of novellas, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. I'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. 
how are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. 